Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. history repeating. There is a phrase that gets repeated a lot in our home. It's not fair. Whether it's a glass of milk and who has how much, or whether it's who chose the last movie, I often hear the cry from my kids of, it's not fair. But it's not just homes with kids in them that say that, we, we all do. And if there's one thing we know from history repeating itself, it's that life isn't fair. And yet there is still something about the human condition that longs for it to be fair. I, I've often wondered about this. Why do we get shocked when life is not fair, when there's no evidence that it ever has been? Studies show that feeling like you've been treated unfairly produces a neural impulse as powerful and as painful as a blow to the head. And other studies show that an experience of fairness produces a reward in the brain similar to eating chocolate. So no wonder our world seems to be boxing with each other and I'm eating my emotions every night on the couch. Our brains are picking up threats everywhere right now because there is a lot that's not fair. The pandemic, the economic devastation, schools going back or not going back, Black Lives Matter, farm murders, the alcohol ban, unfair. But maybe it's just simply closer to home for you. Maybe you've been overlooked for a job, or your health is taking strain. You're feeling the burden of your finances, or how your parents treat you, or what your staff are saying about you. It can be discouraging to see history repeating itself, to see people making the same mistakes over and over again. Like, are we still talking about this? And when we look back over history, we see that there are just some elements of the human experience that some topics that keep repeating and they never seem to come to a conclusion. But the good news is that we can also repeatedly turn to scripture for wisdom on how to deal with the unfairness of the world and the cycles of struggle that we find ourselves in. And so the scripture that I want to look at today is my favorite book of the Bible at the moment. 
I'm going to read this chapter to you and I'm going to make some observations about the historical background, the kind of cultural context and the nuances, but I want to leave it up to you to draw a line from that moment in history to this one. So there was a very specific and difficult situation that emerged in a small first century Mediterranean town called Colossi, in the home of a man named Philemon. He was a wealthy, prosperous Christian who led the house church there, a close friend of the Apostle Paul. Now Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, and we can assume that Onesimus and Paul knew each other because Paul had spent a lot of time with this house church in Colossae. The book of Colossians is written to them. Now after Paul left Colossae and ended up in house arrest in Rome, Onesimus ran away from his owner, Philemon taking some of his master's money with him. Onesimus meets up with Paul in Rome, and then Paul writes this letter. Now, before I read the text, I want to give some history about slavery at that time. The Greek worldview was that slaves were not equal to human beings. They were morally inferior. They were likened to animals. They were viewed as financial assets, property, if you will. A slave like Onesimus was measured by his usefulness, how much work he could do. In fact, the name Onesimus actually means useful. So we can assume this was not his given name, born name, this was a name that was given to him by a master. Can you imagine? Hey, useful, go prepare the dining room. And so, of course, Onesimus runs, he leaves, and he lives and thinks as if he is free. But here is the confusing thing about this chapter. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And this is the covering letter. We'll pick up in verse 4 after a few of the formal greetings. Paul writes, I always thank God, my God, when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action, we're going to come back to that in a minute, <laughs> put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all of the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. You can practically hear Paul buttering Philemon up here. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. <laughs> How funny is Paul? He's basically saying, I'm not going to twist your arm while he's splintering it into pieces. He says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Little play on words there from Paul. I'm sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me in the, while I'm chains for preaching the good news and he would have helped me on your behalf. 
but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. Take note of that phrase because we're going to come back to that. It seems you lost Anisimus for a little while so you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. This is radical because Paul is changing the nature of their relationship. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Wow, that is a massive statement that Paul is writing. And Paul knows it's big because in the actual um, Bible, this is written in capital letters because in the original text, it's Paul's own handwriting. It says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. In other words, Paul is saying, this is not a dictator to a scribe. I'm not being misrepresented. I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, Philemon, what I'm asking you to do. But I want you to know, it wasn't Anisimus or, or one of my helpers who wrote this into a letter. I put this in. Yes, my brother, do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. In other words, Philemon, if you don't do this, I'll know about it when I come stay at your house. And he finishes off with some greetings. Sure. First of all, how hilarious is Paul? We get some real insights into his personality and his leadership and his smart moves. But we also see the story from three different perspectives. Philemon's perspective, Anisimus' perspective, and Paul's perspective. So first of all, if we look at this from Philemon's perspective, Philemon is justified by both law and culture to punish Anisimus if and when he gets back, or to sell him off to work in the mines. But Paul is asking him to think beyond the current cultural moment because God is moving them towards something different, moving them forward. By the law of the land, Philemon is right. But as a follower of Jesus, like Paul reminds him, Philemon is under a new commandment. Jesus brought in a new law that we love one another as God has loved us, which is with grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Paul is reminding Philemon that he lives under the law of Christ, not the laws of Rome. Fairness would be for Philemon to hold Anisimus accountable for his behavior. And I can practically hear Philemon exclaiming, Paul, how can you ask me to do this? Everyone's going to think I'm just allowing this guy to take advantage of me. You can't run a business this way. I lose my power. I lose my authority. And he may not have said it, but he'll lose some pride. There's a financial loss. And to add insult to injury, Philemon has done nothing wrong. If anything, he's the injured party. It's not fair, Paul. 
Then the second perspective we have is Onesimus' perspective. He's heard the gospel preached in the very home that he works in. He knows that this new faith is proposing things that are unheard of in their time. That slavery is wrong. That in Christ there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. And so he is right, justified in saying, I'm done with this. In fact, he also knows that it's wrong that he's never been paid for his work. That taking money from his master is correcting the wrongs of the past and he needs it to survive. In fact, Roman law allowed that if a master was mistreating a slave, that slave could approach a friend of the master and seek asylum, asking the friend to mediate between the slave and the master. Anesimus wants to go find Paul so that Paul can ask Philemon to set him free. He wasn't planning on living as a slave and he wasn't planning on living as a runaway fugitive. He wanted to be a free man making himself useful to Paul, proving himself a good employee so Paul could recommend him to be freed and he could live in Rome where there were many other freed slaves living as citizens of the empire. But then Paul asks him to do something unfair. Paul asks him to go back to Philemon. Paul, how can you ask me to do that? That's crazy. I'm finally free. It's not fair. And then there's Paul's perspective. In a world of Philemon's and Onesimus's, either or, right, wrong, offender, offended, winner, loser, Paul finds a third way forward. Paul takes our either ors and establishes a new creation, a new order of things. Why does Paul do this? Because Paul wants more than fairness. He wants reconciliation. Paul knows fairness won't change the world. It's reconciliation. Reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. In fact, the gospel is wildly unfair. The grace of God towards all is scandalously inequitable. And that's why Paul wrote about reconciliation to this very same community in Philemon's home in Colossae that Philemon is a leader of. He writes in Colossians 1, when he describes the work of Jesus, he says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. In verse 25, God has given me, Paul, the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. In other words, the past, that's, we didn't know about this, guys, but now we know better. Now it has been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Paul knows fairness isn't going to reveal the living riches and glory of Jesus to the world. Paul is responsible for proclaiming the gospel, the message of God, and that message is reconciliation. Reconciliation between humanity and God and reconciliation between humanity themselves. Jesus came for reconciliation, not rights. In fact, 
Paul explains it even further in these deeply challenging words in Philippians 2, inviting every single one of us to a third way. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Deeply challenging words. To give up privilege, to take humble positions, to not cling to equality, even though he was God. Like I said, I'm going to leave you with the words of Paul to apply to your circumstance. What lines can you draw from that moment in history to this one? And so for now, I want to invite you, wherever you are, to take a deep breath, to quiet yourself, and to ask the Holy Spirit to impress on you, to, for deep to call to deep, about what your next step is. Paul makes at least four appeals to Philemon, and I want to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit, which one of these appeals to your heart today? Number one, ask God to make you willing. Verse 14 said, I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. Allow the Holy Spirit to twist your arm into reconciliation. Before anything, take your heart to Jesus and have him adjust your perspective and maybe your attitude. The second thing that Paul appeals is to put generosity into action. He says, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Choose to make generous assumptions about your offender. Choose to go beyond in making restitution. Paul says, I'm confident you will do what I ask and even more. Remind yourself of the ways in which God has been generous to you. That's how you find the faith to risk being generous to others. Number three, show kindness. I appeal to you Anis, to show kindness to Anisimus in verse 10. You know, kindness is lending you my strength in a way that doesn't remind you of your weakness. Paul saying, keep no record of wrong, bear each other's burdens. When someone is hurting or injured, give them kindness, not legalism. What laws govern your life? Which law would you rather live under? The law of Christ? Or legalism can you extend this to your offender and then finally charge the debt to Jesus Paul writes if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything charge it to me Paul's modeling an economy of grace in Jesus's eyes it doesn't matter whether you're a Philemon or an Anisimus right or wrong oppressor or oppressed black or white male or female insider or outsider we rely on a system greater than the law of the land to restore us. We rely on the grace of God because Jesus levels the playing field between offenders and offended. 
Not one of us is without fault. And at the foot of the cross, we have all been grossly mistreated and hurt one another. We have all injured and offended others. And reconciliation is how we declare the grace of God to this world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you know each of us and our stories. You know the unfairness and the fear and the struggles we have. Give us the compassion to see your perspective, to see a third way. Make us humble, Lord, that we would walk our lives out with humility, doing justice, loving mercy and kindness. And Father, we thank you that it was your kindness that led us to repentance. May we model that to this world around us in your name and in your power and with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.